HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at hearstranch.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. journey. Our guest, and I'm excited about this guy, is Aldo Sohm, wine director at Le Bernardine and proprietor of Aldo Sohm Wine Bar, both in New York City. We're going to talk to Aldo about fine wine, fine dining, glassware, gruners, and a whole bunch of other stuff. We'll also taste Aldo's Austrian Gruner for our weekly wine sip. I'm Sam Ben Ruby. Stay with us for the Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. We bring wine to the people. Austrian-born Aldo Somme is a true super psalm, a rock star, the OG. You may ask why. Well, he's been awarded the best psalm in Austria four times, best psalm in America, best psalm in the world. Aldo is the wine director at Four Star Restaurant and Three Michelin Star Le Bernardine, where he received a James Beard Award for Best Wine Service. He's the proprietor of Aldo Somme Wine Bar, also in New York City. He is the brand ambassador for Zalto Wine Glasses. You don't know wine glasses until you pick up a Zalto. And, because he has plenty of time, he makes Gruner Veltliner with Gerhard Cracker. Aldo, welcome to the show. (laughs) We got all that out of the way. I want, uh, I want our listeners to get a little idea of where you came from, because your background is about as full relative to what you do as anyone. So give me a little, uh, tell us a little about your journey in life, wine, restaurants that got you to where you are today, which is on my show at Le Bernardine, your own wine bar, the glasses, uh, the gruner and all that. But buzz through it. It's more a matter of where you came from and, you know, now. We'll get to the stories and details later. Cool. Well, with that introduction, I'm, <laughs> I, I'm blushing. <laughs> I'm glad nobody can see me. <laughs> uh, it's all true. Uh, well, uh, look, I got very lucky, uh, okay. to be very honest. Uh, I wanted to become originally a chef, you know, because once you get out of school, you know, it's very difficult once you're in the age of 15, 16, what are you going to do? Right? In which kind of direction you want to move on with your life uh, and, you know, continue that journey? Is Austria different? Like in the U.S., you go right to college. 
In Austria, you look at a vocation, college, well, or yeah, but in which kind of direction you start specializing yourself right. into. Okay. Uh, ultimately, so I wanted to become a chef. I saw, you know, uh, one chef, you know, showing me from all these cruise ships, you know, what they did. And, if, of course, of seeing the, traveling the wide world, it was just, I was inspired. I thought, I wanted to do that. And my father said, you know, you should go into a college, a tourism college, uh, because you're much broader with that. And that made sense to me. So I went, uh, finished So he school. said, not just chef cooking, look at the broader, look at the broader tourism, picture. hospitality. Exactly. Okay. Um, and so I continued that. And at my first internship, it turned out right away, uh, the kitchen is, was not my world. Um, thankfully, they put me in. It was a disaster. Uh, in the kitchen? Oh, forget it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you found out early enough. <laughs> that was good. It's very important that you know what you don't like. Right. <laughs> Bingo. <laughs> no, it was not good. And right. thankfully, they put me to the last two weeks of that internship into front of the house. And boy, I loved working with people. They said, oh, we should have done this right from the, from the first week on. Uh, they saw this. I just, you know, I was in my element. And I pursued that part. So, of course, I finished school. Um, you know, what do you know when you are 18, 19 year old? I mean, of course, you think you know, you know everything, but uh, that's, uh, you know, a myth. True. <laughs> um, and, you know, I started go uh, going out and into a first restaurant just to get more experience, uh, to get the speed because it was way too slow. And back then I didn't like wine at all. I had was too bitter, too sour, you know, had no approach to it that. It wasn't a family thing either at the table mm, or going nothing, out? Nothing, okay. nothing. Wow. Um, I mean, of course, my parents drank yeah, wine, but... But it wasn't <laughs> wrapped around your not at growing all. up. Or nothing. Uh, no background, literally zero. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the I had more co uh, contact to Bacardi Coke. Um, it's more sweeter, and, you know... Nothing wrong with that. It's... I mean, of course, that shifted. And at one point, I worked in a restaurant. I met two Swiss uh, couples uh, who were like me today. They were super excited at breakfast, what they're going to have for lunch and for dinner and which wine they should have. And that became one of the benchmarks in my life where they asked me. They were foodies, right? They were 100% on. I mean, right. it's very typical, traditional for Swiss anyway. They love right. to eat. They love to spend also money on wine. And tells a country which has an enormous amount of per capita spending on wine. The wine never leaves the country. It's so good. Yeah. <laughs> right? Um, but yeah, they drink also a lot of French wine. Yeah. Uh, that being said, you know, I started, you know, either there were two options. Either I told them I wouldn't know or I started reading. And back in the day, we, you know, there was no internet. So it was much more difficult to get onto information and to get onto books. Uh, in today's world, I know it changed a little bit. In today's world, you have to filter the information because there's such a flood Oof. out there. So studying was very, very different. And I got, I, you know, I was bitten by the bug immediately. And ironically, at the same time, my father went on buying wine, you know, for himself to go to, he went to Alto Adige, to Italy, because I'm from Tyrol. So Italy is very, very close. It's a hot region now. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and... I bought my first bottle, which was on Darmaci by Angelo Gaia in 1983. I read about it. <laughs> Started and it, at the top with Gaia. Well, you know, back then it was kind of insane to spend that kind of money. I mean, it's, it's like if somebody buys, you know, uh, Chateau Latour, right? It's the first right. bottle it, as an equivalent, right? It was. Uh, it is the equivalent. Gaia is to Italian yeah. and uh, first growth is to Bordeaux. So, um, yeah, but it didn't mean that. I thought, you know, once you, I was bitten by the bug and, you know, if I put my harder on it, I put it 120% on. Um, there's no, there's no plan B. There's nothing. It's just full. Right. I'm fascinated by it, and I, I was driving that. And at first, you know, as a European, you know, you're, you know, it's not as big as the United States, but it's uh, you have so many different languages in there. So languages were more important to me than pursue right away the sommelier um, um, education program. So of course, I followed the wine scene and started tasting with with great people, but I learned also languages. Um, as good as I could. And in finished my Simulator Diploma in 1998. And back then, uh, our trainer, in Austria, it's two parts. It's two years, it goes over two years. And in the first part, uh, there was the World Championship of Sommeliers in Vienna. 
and our trainer actually was uh, the candidate for Austria. So I joined. Uh, he asked, he invited us. Do you want to join us? And you know, like a study group or something. It was more like you know, you want to show that, uh, you want to witness that. Uh, oh, it's a whole come weekend, along for right? the ride. Uh, the problem was just it was in between uh, exams, and. I said, yeah, of course, right? And uh, in my study group, everybody said, are you completely insane? Uh, it's the exams. I said, well, how much more can I learn rather than no. there, right? I mean, what I don't know right now, I'm not going to learn um, in between the, se- uh, the exams. So, and, you know, it was just exhilarating. The, the adrenaline was there, and it was crushing and intimidating. And I swore to myself, I will never, ever do this. This is insane. Well... Never say never in life. I should be very careful about that. For sure. Um, nine months after, he, uh, the trainer came back to me and said, um, you know, we're looking for a new candidate and you sh- we're looking at you. You would be ideal. And I said, are you, are to you compete sure? for to the compete? best sommelier in Austria. In Austria. Right. right. And that was, you know, there were a lot of very prominent people there. And me you know I'm, I'm a, and I, you know, I'm a humble guy. Right. And uh, wasn't too self-secure either. And he said, don't worry about it. We train you and we, we set you up. And yeah, I got, became right second. So it was first time out. First second. time out, uh, right second. What year was that, Aldo? That was in 1999. Okay. Then 01. You ain't settling for second place. Of course not. Okay. So I, I went one more time, became second again. Of course, was those are setbacks in life, which mm. are absolute key. Uh, because the setbacks, look, they make you work harder. Uh, it's tests in life. Are they painful? Trust me, they're very painful. And you question everything, and you're desperate, and you're unhappy. But they're just tests in life. Really, really want to pursue that goal, and if you really want to go for it. And you're going to put more work up. And yeah, a year after, I, I won first time. So a huge relief. Then I won two more times, and I realized since all the competitions are in a foreign language... Uh, my English was okay, but uh, not good enough. And I saw all the top guys, uh, they worked in a foreign country. And with age 33, I decided to relocate and came to America. And it was actually funny because at was first... Was that your first choice? I mean, you knew you were coming here? No, you know, as an Austrian, ultimately, you always want to go to Wolfgang Puck. Right. That's your to-go address. But right. I never got a feed, I never got an answer from them. Um, and then over... My tra- one of my trainers actually knew a winemaker and said, actually, I know someone who looks. Uh, and it was Kurt at Walse. And so I went to Star Wine, which was a wine competition in Philadelphia. And accidentally, my, my flight back was from JFK. So I stopped by. And, you know, we talked. And seemed to be everything was just lined up. And back then, I was also teaching on a tourism high school. Um... And he said, he said to me, but do you have a safe job? I said, yeah, but I'm bored. <laughs> uh, you know, to get, it's very safe, it's very secure, but I'm bored it's to not hell. not what you want. I'm bored to hell. Right. Uh, and I get antsy. And yeah, and I came July 4, 2004. Uh, got my visa, everything, came right over here. And yeah, that was the start. So you come July 4th, 4th of July to the U.S. You go to work at Walsey? Yes. Okay, so you're there for, there were a couple of restaurants. Yeah, well, um, I was there for three years in that group. I I opened with Kurt um, uh, Thor in the Lower East Side. All great restaurants, highly regarded. Blaue Gans, moved back to Walse, and then uh, I went back one more time to Austria to defend my title. Uh, which I succeeded. That was your fourth? The fourth one, yeah, in 06. What was the gap between the last win and that win? A few years? No, two. 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 And then I spoke with the American sommeliers because I, uh, they asked me to teach for them. And Andrew Bell um, helped me also to train. And uh, he's, he was such... He's, he's one of the best trainers because he's painful. Uh, he breathes down your neck. Uh, he, you know, slams constantly the things which you don't know into your face. And, you know, uh, he's uncomfortable. But that's what you want ultimately as a trainer. Uh, not somebody who taps on your shoulder and says how great you are. Now, of course, that's sometimes a little hard to digest. But it's important you have someone who, you know, constantly pushes you. So at that point... Is he talking to you about Bessam in, in America? Well, he, he didn't. Actually, I asked him. 
Okay. Uh, and he said that would jeopardize our friendship because I cannot talk to you in that case because I have to be, you know, correct. Impartial. Uh, so actually, we didn't communicate for half a year. Wow. Um, and yeah, I went in 07 and I won. Um, and I didn't want to compete anymore. Uh, because I said it takes up too much of my life. Uh, you give Just up everything. Go back for a second. You won the best psalm in America in 2007. Yeah. You go through a competition and you emerge the winner and you represent the country. How does it work? Yes. Now, I'm assuming to get to be the best psalm in America, there are some guys that are still out there that you competed against, right? Yeah. Those you know, are very good guys. I, yeah, I would think very, so. Very, very good guys. Yeah. I mean, one of them was uh, Yannick Benjamin. Right. Uh, and that's a rock solid guy. Yep. Rock solid. Yep. I was actually, I was sweating. Yeah, <laughs> you should be. So you win Best Psalm in America in 2007. You decide, ah, this is enough. But, you know, then I got a phone call, you know, because Le Bernardin was looking for a wine director. And uh, we talked. Right on my first interview was Maggie Lacoste. I thought that's actually a very good sign. Um, then I met Eric. Maggie is the proprietor. Yeah. Um, and they hit the ground running. So when they called um, you, you knew it was a Mecca a palace. No, no, of course. I mean, yeah. I mean, I mean if it, you it, don't know what Lebanon is in the No, but right? even then, yeah, yeah. you know, it, it didn't take years no. to... Um, so that was that was a terrific no, phone I mean, call. She's an inspiration. Uh, that is a woman. I, th- I always make jokes about it. Uh, I think German generals uh, they sloppy <laughs> against her. <laughs> I tell you that. There you go. <laughs> uh, the discipline she brings up on a the table. There's a reason why she's uh, on that Absolutely. level where she is. So you get the call at Le Bernardine when? What uh, year? Oh seven. Oh seven. Oh seven. And you're still there, and we'll get to that, but. This best psalm in the world thing comes up. Tell me how you get pulled into that. Well, <laughs> um, I didn't want to go, and then Yannick Benjamin was actually the next follow-up, but he stepped. Uh, he couldn't make it, and then Andrew came back to me. Uh, I think eight weeks prior, and asked me again. I said, "Listen, this is the logic choice. Uh, I need to ask you again. Would you do it?" And I said, "Sure." Because um, I had a review, which wasn't as pleasant. Right. And I felt like I was treated unfairly. Right. And I thought, you know what? Now I'm going to show it to you. <laughs> and you did it. I, I, it was hell. Those eight weeks, they were absolutely hell. Now, was that a shortened period because you were asked later? Of course, I mean, yeah. You had it, right. I was, so you're, you're I working... At Le Bernardine, which is crazy hours on the floor, yeah. ordering wine, everything. I didn't ask for extra. Yeah. Jesus Christ. <laughs> so you do that, and what, what happened? But bear one thing in mind. Uh, working at Le Bernardin, you have one major advantage. Uh, you don't have maybe as much time to study, which is obviously important, but I utilize that you know, before work, after work, on the weekends. However, you perform you know, on practical service parts, constantly on competition level. The highest that's, level is there. That's what I tell you. You need to do at Le Bernardine at the competition. And that's a lot much, of people don't have that exposure. Exactly. That's right. what I tell my sommeliers often when they go to the court of master sommeliers. Um, you know, this is what you that's ultimately. A very good point. That is again, we work that every day. That's it. right. That's a very good point. So you compete, and you win. You study while you're working at Le Bernardine. I think a year later. You've only been at Le Bernardine a couple of years. You win the James Beard Award yeah. for Best Wine Service. That came from nowhere, I have to really admit. Uh, I was just humbled. Uh, I couldn't even believe it anymore. That's a big deal. Uh, and everything came based from that review. It was just my life changed. You know, again, from one shot, from one moment, you're completely at the rock <laughs> right. bottom. And then it's just you skyrocket out of it. But... It was all, you know, it's funny. I went back to those reviewers and I said, you know, you have no idea. I met them I met, yeah, I met, them two years ago and I said, you have no idea how much thankful I am to you. The impact that it I mean, had. You weren't well intended to me. However, right. uh, you actually got the best out of me and I worked so hard and you made actually put me onto the map. I, I, I agree that, that, you know, those things have an effect on you. All right, so... 
Aldo got to Le Bernardin then. He's still there 17, 18 years later. So now I want to move to what you're doing now, which is a handful of things. So bear with me. But one quick question. Do you still compete or mentor for competitions or you're done with no, that? No, I stopped competing. Um, what about mentoring? I do that a lot. You do? I do that a lot. Um, mentoring careers or mentoring for competitions? Uh, both. Both. Okay. Both. Um, you enjoy that? I think this is a responsibility uh, I took on. Look, when I was a candidate and competed, people were very gracious with their time. I think it's only responsible that uh, if somebody asks you, that of course you step up on your plate and help that person. I, I, I love hearing that, and, um, and it's a gracious path to take. And look, um, one thing I spoke, I had last year a meeting with Jacques Tiempo, and he gave me one quote, and uh, it is so true. And that's one of my mantras. You should never forget where, uh, history and where you came from. And that's the part which is most important to me. Look, you stay with both feet on the ground, no matter, you know, I mean, uh, where people might lift you uh, and help others. It's not hard to be nice and to be grounded. Well, a smile didn't kill anyone. No, no. All right. So I want to talk to you about what you're doing now and um, all the projects you're involved in. Let's start with uh, Le Bernardin, but let me set that up. You're the perfect guy to ask this to. How important is wine to food in fine dining, which is something you live deeper than anybody? Uh, <laughs> um, look, they both come to, they both uh, go with each other. I think in today's world. But food gets the top billing. I mean, you and I are wine guys. But, the, you know, so how important is wine? I think, look, it's very interesting when we look through where is uh, the restaurant world moving into and where is it developing. When you look at the audience, what are they asking you? What are they looking for? I mean, look. So where is that going? Tell me what you, uh, know, you, you I mean, saw or look, seeing. People come to a restaurant because uh, of the chef, because of the food. I mean, that's whether we like this as wine people or not, but that's a fact. That was my point. The food gets the That's a fact. Down. But look, um, people also look for the entire experience. People just don't go to a place because the food is great, but the front of the house is terrible, um, and vice versa. You ha in today's that used to be 10 or 20 years ago, you, you might have gotten away with that. In today's world, you don't get away with that anymore. You have to have a complete uh, performance uh, onto that. Now, look, I consider myself lucky to work with Eric Repair because, look, if you are a sommelier, uh, you ultimately need uh, a great chef in order to perform also onto that level. It elevates. It elevates. And it, and uh, it, it forces you to stay look, on your game. And it's great to work with him because, uh, I mean, look, he challenges, uh, which I like. I like challenges. If I'm, I was never, I never was good at easy jobs. Uh, right. Because you're bored. Bored. Um, and it's great to work with him, and he's an inspiration also, the way how he runs back of the house. And it's just a great family where I'm in, right? Uh, but of course, look, is every day easy? No, but I consider this as a family. So, you know, you, you're not going to get rid of your brothers. No. I think either, Eric, or you said, this is a quote, a great pairing doesn't just emphasize the wine or the food. It transforms them both and elevates the partnership to a perfect harmony, yeah. which is really where wine comes in and is, you know, the complementary partner. That's all right. So let's talk a little about that. Um, so we're talking to Aldo Som. Aldo is the wine director at Le Bernardine, and he's the proprietor at Aldo Som Wine Bar, which we'll talk about. So Le Bernardine, arguably one of the finest restaurants, not in America, but the world. Okay. Arguably. Um, the menu we know is very seafood-driven. Eric says fish is the star of the plate. So now you're tasked with designing a wine program to that type of food, of which there's a lot of seafood restaurants, but not at that level. So how do you design the wine list? What's important? You know, how do you interact with Eric? Well, <laughs> there's a funny story. I think it happened within the first month. Of course, I knew who Eric Repair was. I knew he had a very strong passion for Bordeaux. 
and a very strong passion for tequila. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> in the first month, uh, he asked me, there was a party um, and where he, uh, I think for his family, and he sat down as well, and he created a menu, and he asked me to do a pairing with it. And I remember there was a poached escalar with a red vampernese with it. What's escalar? A fish? It's a Hawaiian white tuna. Okay. Yeah. And... When you say white, the way you see tuna reddish, this no, comes... No, it's literally white. White, okay. Mm -hmm. And what's very interesting there was, I served, I remember the wine, it was a Pinot Noir, uh, um, Meurice and Nichafaux from Uberlinier, 01. And the wine was just delicious, and it was just in a perfect stadium, and I paired them with it. And then five minutes before the event started, I see the Metro D coming, you know, upset in both hands over there. It's just, you know, <laughs> I mean, uh, today, uh, our Metro D, Ben, right? um, he's like a brother to me. And, uh, you know, but he's very emotional then. And he came rail it up right behind him. The, the His assistant, right, also upset. And then uh, my assistant back then, uh, Roman. Um, and he started yelling, how, do you, how come he didn't tell Aldo, chef likes only Bordeaux, he doesn't like burgundy, and so on, kept on ranting and ranting. Oh, I boy. said, listen, uh, it's five minutes before the event, we're not going to do anything right now. Chef asked me for a pairing, it's great that he likes Bordeaux, but he didn't give me a filet steak, he gave me an escolar. Right. So, uh, this is what goes. This is what it goes, right? So I'm not going to change anything right now. And uh, it was funny, then uh, Chef came after the event, and he said, you know what? It was actually a really delicious pairing. It worked perfectly, but I like Bordeaux. I said, that's great, but just cook me a filet steak or something. <laughs> right. Let me do my job. Let me pair. So that's sort of the philosophy. You do the obvious stuff when you buy. I mean, you, you've been running the program for upwards of 20 years. You inherited some wines. You bought some wines. The menu changes seasonally and all that. You really have to think about what the customer wants, right? Like Eric wants Bordeaux, so do customers. And what the food warrants. How do you juggle it? Uh, I mean, look, ultimately, you never know who is in front of you. Uh, that's rule number one in New York. Customer-wise? Customer-wise, yeah. You never know who is in front of you and where my people be in two years. Uh, never forget that. Um, be nice to everyone. Uh, yeah, be respectful. Right. Treat people like you want to be treated. And it's funny you say that because who wouldn't do that? But not every psalm in every restaurant does do that. Uh, I think. I mean, look, I wouldn't say psalm. It's it's just natural sometimes. Hospitality people. people yes. You know, you, you might work long hours. You know, you haven't had a day off. That you get grumpy is the most logical thing. It's inevitable. We are, we are fatigued, right? This can be in any industry, not just a sommelier. It's in any industry. However, that's why it's important. Look, Eric looks always that people have a balance. Because then exactly, you don't get into this situation. Right. I uh, agree with I mean, that. look, it's, um, of course we work a lot, but it's important that we take care of ourselves. I always quote him on that because, look, if you're unable to take care of yourself, how can you take care of others? Right. That's impossible. I think that in a restaurant, if the employees are happy, they go out on the floor in a good way, with and that transcends to the with customer. A smile. But to answer your question is, look, you need to listen what customers want. You don't know where they are, which they look. Some people might just want to have a pina grigio, and that's totally fine. Some people say, ah, you know, I want these big California caps because that's what I like. Now. Look, I know people right now. People know me. It's a little bit. It became a little easier, but I tell they them sometimes. They defer to you more. Yeah, but I tell them, you know, you know, this this type of wine might be not your best choice with Dover Soul. And you know, some people said, uh, yeah, but uh, we still like these wines. And you know, we we are not here to judge. We are here to you know to service you and make sure you have a great time and hopefully come back next week. But that being said, there's a cellar full of. Merzot, Montrachet, Chablis, that complements this type but of look, food. The, moment the people that defer to you and say, Aldo, here's what I'm eating. What am I drinking? Exactly. I mean, I there's have, a lot of that. I have too, a lot right? of that. Yeah. A lot of that. But look, it's just how you work with people, how you get uh, you know, a relationship with them, and then they trust you. Right. right? Uh, that's something which you takes typically, you know, when you take over a program in a new restaurant, it takes you a year to two years just to get to know really everything, ups and downs, and customers right. trust you. Right. I, I, mean, agree, I, I agree with that. Um, so I think the lesson there is, assuming you have an understanding and a good sommelier, you should 
be inquisitive and tell the sommelier information. What do you like? What do you drink styles? And that'll give you a pathway to give them what they want. You know, want. I push sometimes also people in terms of, look, I have people who drink always specific styles. Right. And look, Maggie Lacoste is a living example. She used to drink only California Chardonnay. That was her palate. Really? And she loved uh, Pilin de Morache Pucelle from Le Fleuve. Okay. But obviously, that's not an inexpensive wine. So right. <laughs> she couldn't do this every day. No, we didn't want to do it every day. So one day, you know, I, I paired it with a chef made a lobster with a little bit uh, white asparagus uh, and a hollandaise. And I paired a Grunewaldliner with it. Perfect. Now, you know, you can imagine giving a French, uh, an Austrian wine, which typically... But that know, asparagus, you have to take that into consideration. And I still saw her reaction, right? She tasted that wine and she came up from that chair. You could see that and I knew she was hooked. And ever since, I, I just laughed about it and said, you became the biggest Austrian wine ambassador. That's funny. <laughs> and and it, we'll find out that you are. I, I want to move away from Labernadine, get to some other projects. But I just want you to quickly tell me a couple of things. Because Labernadine is a special place. It's not your typical restaurant. Give me an idea. I mean, in the years you've been there, the most expensive bottle. I mean, what's the price tick off for the most expensive bottle? That's just a fun fact. It's silly, but I want to know. Um, look, here's, here's the one thing. I get this question often asked. One of the mantras we have, we never talk about at the restaurant who sits in the restaurant, how often they come. I, I and you know, with whom they go and which price points. We don't, never talk about that. Don't tell me the price then. Tell me the wine. Uh, I wouldn't even go into that part. Okay, Look, Romani uh, one, Conti 61, whatever. That's <laughs> It doesn't matter. I, I respect that. I respect that. Um, all right, so I'm not going to ask you to tell me a crazy story about a customer because you won't do that. <laughs> or about you spilling a fancy wine on somebody, whatever. Not that you ever did, but we'll, we'll move off of all of oh, that. Oh, I did. <laughs> I'm sure you <laughs> it have. It happens, but you're not proud of that. <laughs> no, no, no. But it's sort of a rite of passage in all of that. All right, so Labernadine. But bear in mind, every complaint has an opportunity to connect with a customer. If you handle it the right way. Absolutely. I agree with you. You become closer. Yeah. Um, all right, so uh, let's uh, move on. You made a pivot. You didn't leave. You just made a pivot from fine dining to a more casual and eclectic environment. You opened Aldo Salm Wine Bar, which is right a little around the corner, arcade from uh, Le Bernardine. Tell me how that came about, you know, why, and what are you doing different there? What can you do there that's good that you can't, you know, do on the floor at a Le Bernardine? Um, well, <laughs> I might sound I'm singing I'm the biggest cheerleader for Eric and Maggie, but uh, you no, know, no, I'm no. one of them. Uh, the way how this came around was um, Maggie and Eric came to me one day and said, look, we have this opportunity and you've been with us for uh, so many years. You went, you did a great job. Um, we'd like to reward you and make sure you stay in our family. And that was not a reaction. You weren't thinking about leaving and they had a... No. They, they came to you and said... Look, to me, I'm addicted to work on the floor. Uh, I love that. Uh, it's to me, look, that's what a sommelier is about. You buy wine, you sell wine. Uh, it's and I like the, the customer contact. Look, you're here with the greatest, the smartest people in the world, but you come also around with people who come once a year uh, to a restaurant and they save for for a year to afford that meal. That's the most rewarding thing you can have. I agree. And uh, again, the reason why I love it in New York so much is because it's the people. Uh, that's the special part Very about diverse. New York. So they and came to you and they said, "Listen." What we do you think down. of this idea? Yeah, and <clears throat> I was never on my radar to open up a wine bar. Um, and I said, wow, uh, I mean, what could be worse, right? Uh, I could not envision, you know, better partners than, than you, right? Uh, of course, uh, I'd love to do that, right? And that was what year? That was in... 14? No, 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 that was in 2012. 12, okay. Um, 2012, 2013, okay. in kind of that frame. And... Yeah, and to name this after Aldo, uh, to name this after my name, actually that wasn't my idea. High honor. That was actually Eric's idea, and I said, you know that I'm way too humble. I said, yeah, but Eric said, but your brand I think is strong enough. It's you, right? And, and see, and that's when he started initially. Here's the interesting point: people come to Le Bernardin because of the food, 
at the wine bar, it's just reverse situation. They, they come, come to for me the, for the wine. So what can you do there? You know, it's a wine bar, which is a different environment, you know, than a, a grand restaurant. What are the fun things or type of things that you've been doing, you introduced? You know, here's, here's, there's a funny story to that. I used to work with a sommelier. Now she works in a different place. Her, her boyfriend uh, was, uh, worked for a wine importer. And I went on the Today Show. And, you know, you can serve their wines up to $20 retail. And I did that. And then she said, oh, my God, my boyfriend made a really funny comment. I have to share that with you. <laughs> I said, $20 and below? How would Aldo know? <laughs> <laughs> he would right? And you know what? I thought it's actually a funny comment, but I thought uh, it's true. I mean, look, uh, how difficult, how easy to get the great $100 bottle of the wine. The environment that you're it's in. It's easy. Your right? product of your own. But right. a $20 bottle retail, uh, you got to think about that. And, you know, it is, this has inspired me. And that I brought to the wine bar where I thought, look, you deal with wines which are on a more sensitive price range and still have fun and you want to drink them. So you curated interesting value wines. Yeah. So you can go into Aldo Son Wine Bar, find some interesting wines for some terrific you know, I mean, value price. To me, um, this might sound uh, you know, silly, but to me it was important that you offer in Midtown a, glass of, a decent glass of wine for $10. Out of a salto gloss, <laughs> right? Uh, we'll Sixty dollars them. <laughs> we're going to take a break in a minute, but when we come back, and we're not breaking but, in a second. Wait, hold on. We're going to talk about Zalto a little, and we're going to talk about the Gruner. But but finish but your thought about I think, the look, wine bar. It was important to me that you get that. But look, here's uh, we had a trend in the last couple of years, which I found very interesting because it was always for for cheaper wines, lower markups, below fifty dollars, below forty dollars, which I think. Uh, of course, you have to have that. That's imperative. But bear in mind, you know, you have also customers who want to really spend uh, money onto it because they have to they, celebrate their They're coming in for an occasion. Or something They'll buy like, a vintage Bordeaux. They want to buy a $2,000 bottle right. of wine, right? So, look, what are you going to do if you have a $40 bottle of wine? You know, you're going to almost offend them, right? So you're doing a disservice to that client. So ultimately, it was the idea to create a list which you would satisfy everyone. And now it's not a big book. I didn't want to create that either because... It's uh, 200, 250 items, not more. Because, look, it's a wine bar. If it takes you longer than uh, five minutes to choose a bottle of wine, you know, you're do not doing yourself a service to your customers because Agree. Uh, the other partners sit next to it and are bored. What is the uh, skew? Is it French-centric? Is it... It's it has a very strong, strong French, French empathy and on. Then where does it go? Um, you know, Italy, obviously, Austria right. as well a little bit, but also California. Right. Uh, but the center is probably European-driven. Right. When you go to California, are you sort of forced to carry the name stuff, or do you look for some interesting plays there? Uh, on the beginning, look, I didn't know where the journey with the wine bar, what, what is the audience right. buying, right? So you had I kept myself that. room uh, into that. Uh, actually, I was pretty much on it where I thought it would go, and... It's no, I don't go for the big houses there. It's m people look more for the leashes, for the smaller producers, uh, for what's new. That's where, when you go to a wine bar like that and you let Aldo look for that, you're gonna taste, you know, stuff. All right, Aldo, we're gonna take a quick break. When we come back, we're gonna do three things. I wanna talk about Zalto glasses a little. I want to talk about your Gruner project, but we'll talk about that even more when we sip it. And I want to subject you to our wine list, which is a bunch of questions. So we're talking to Aldo Sohm. Uh, you're listening to The Grape Nation. We'll be right back after this message. Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. The Hearst family has been raising cattle on the rich, sustainable native grasslands of California's Central Coast for over 150 years. Piedra Blanca Rancho in San Simeon is the original Hearst Ranch, founded by George Hearst in 1865. George's son was the famous publisher, William Randolph Hearst. In addition to being known for building the iconic Hearst Castle, William was, like his father before him, an avid rancher. In his words, 
I would rather spend a month at the ranch than any place in the world. Thanks to one of the largest land conservation easements in California history, a joint effort with the California Rangeland Trust, the American Land Conservancy, and the state of California, the working landscape at Hearst Ranch will be preserved forever. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at hearstranch.com. All right, we're back. We're back with my guest, Aldo Sohm. Uh, we're going to talk to Aldo a little about glassware, and then we're going to talk to him about his Gruner project. And then, like I said, we're going to subject him to our wine list. All right, so Aldo, you, Aldo, you are the uh, Alto Zalto. <laughs> you are, and correct me if I'm wrong, the brand ambassador for a line of wine glasses called Zalto, Z-A-L-T-O. Now, nobody better than you could do a quick description of what a Zalto glass is and why you put your sweat towards it. Um, well, you know, as an Austrian sommelier, it is impossible not to get around the topic uh, glasses. Uh, because when you look a little bit in history back, uh, go 150 years backwards, when the Austrian monarchy still was intact, all in the Bohemia was the, the, the craftsmanship of glass making. Uh, we it's from different... Uh, it's in the blood. It's in the blood. Yeah. I mean, it's the craftsmanship sits right there. Right. And I got in touch the first time with Zalto 2007. And Is this a company that's been around a long time or it's a fairly... It's been a while. It's been around for quite some time, okay. but it has a new ownership. Okay. Uh, because Mr. Kurt Salto was a brilliant artist, uh, but on the business side, he wasn't as brilliant. So he sold it. Um, yeah. And in 2007, I got the first time around. Everybody said, uh, around me, this is the best class in the world. To me, I found this an interesting statement, because what does that mean? Right? Um, so I tested it. And because at first, when you, when you touch it, you say, this breaks immediately. And as you saw, I came in a regular paper bag with the glasses yeah, in. It came from Midtown. That's crazy. In a packed with no, sub. like, paper or anything. Nothing, right? <laughs> so, this guy's nuts. <laughs> so, yeah, a full subway. So, again, right. and both glasses came intact, right? Perfect. They probably go come back intact, back to the wine bar. Right. Um, no, so I tested these glasses, and I noticed immediately um, it's a very powerful glass in terms of performance. Um, it when magnifies flavors. So when you say performance, there's a magnification of the flavor more than other glasses. Yes. So it brings it up and out to the nose and the palate. Yeah. More uh, than any other glass you... I mean, look, it, um, a glass is like a speaker. Uh, you could buy a crappy one or a good one. Yeah. Uh, and again, you will, you will get more out of the product, right? You get more music out of your speaker depending what it is. So right. you enhance that. And I play with that because... If you do pairings, right, um, certain glasses influence and change the wine completely. I do these tastings at the wine bar often, serve the same wine blind from a different shape of glass and don't tell people. And it's really interesting, the outcome. They all they can't believe it, even though it comes from the uh, same bottle. I, I, I think people who know wine understand that but, a little, but I think people who don't, it's a great opportunity to sort what's, of up the game. What's special on Salto is, look, it's, um, it's a very tiny company. It's all about craftsmanship. It's a hand-blown glass, not a machine-blown glass. You notice this is the first. It's, first of all, super light. Yes. Uh, it has a really sexy stem. People really love to, t to hold it, and it's a good feel. And uh, secondly, it's the, the edge on top doesn't have this lip, which uh, actually the other glass you fold of it, and that's why it falls much I more further on your now. palate. I didn't realize And that. the beautiful part, what we noticed, because at the wine bar we have it 100%, uh, Salto glasses. There was actually no choice. One thing I learned, and when you observe, I, I observe people, you know, they hold the glass constantly, and that's why they drink more than they actually would normally do. Because once you hold the glass nonstop, you you drink quicker. So if you give them something they want to hold, they're going to drink quicker it's, and it's, more. It's really funny to Aldo, observe that. You're brilliant. <laughs> All right. So Zalto makes different shapes for different types of wine. I mean, how many different shape well, offerings? Uh, it's nine different shapes. Okay. And that's it. They don't want to expand more. Right. Because at one point, uh, I mean, how much real estate do we really have in New York? It covers all the major Bordeaux, exactly. Burgundy, Shards, yep. all that stuff. And where can we get Zalto at? Online, better retailers? Well, you get it at better retailers. You get it from my website, aldasom.com. 
Um, so okay, yeah. So so here's the challenge: treat yourself. Go out and buy one, and see what it does, and you'll probably want more because Aldo's not wrong. The glass really does. Up I mean, the game. It's a very thing. simple thing. You don't even have to go buy. Buy in, go in a restaurant. Right. Uh, go to Aldo's on wine bar. And try a glass of wine. And try it, and you'll see it yourself, right? There's no risk for you to take. Uh, the problem is only, and I've seen this many times now, uh, once you touch one, you're sort of uh, hooked. Right. Just th- be prepared. I, I, I think you stated it eloquently before. Once you get it in your hand, you don't want to let go. And when it's in your hand, you want more wine, more wine, more wine. And that, that's a very positive thing. All right, so that's Zalto glasses. Now, you started making wine... No surprise, Austrian Gruner Veltenier. You started a project with a very well-known wine family and winemaker, Gerhard Cracker. We'll talk about the wine itself towards the end of the show because the segment will taste it. But tell me how the collaboration, the project came together. Um, I was traveling in Argentina and... I was very inspired there and you know it was just in 2008 right after I won the competition and they were very excited to see me and they asked me to criticize their wine and I said uh, what uh, who am I right and well, that's a very humble thing to say oh, but that's the that's yeah, the reality I, I that's agree. the way uh, right um, and on my flight back I thought that actually what I'm doing doesn't make any sense uh, I criticize only but I don't make nothing you know, and criticizing is very easy. Um, my, and my wife will tell me that sounds uh, like me, but go ahead. So I, I did some thinking, and, you know, I looked a little bit into it, and the second person I spoke to was Gerhard Kracher. I actually, I was in Queens for a lunch, and he <laughs> just came, he just called me, because he got off the plane, so he called uh, me uh, to join me. Uh, an Austrian Waldener with a Austrian winemaker, famous family, Starts in Queens. Yeah. Okay. No, no, it was. It's. it's <laughs> I believe you. <laughs> and then I told him about that idea, and Gerhard looks and thinks and said, "Why don't we do something together?" And that sounded reasonable to me, and you know, the my instinct felt this actually very, very good, uh, good harmony. And we talked immediately what we did not want to make. We were completely aligned with that, and yeah, 09 was the first finish, and we produced. So Gerhard has the wine family, the wine facilities. He's a well, winemaker. Well, Gerhard is obviously... Tell me what you contributed. Gerhard is obviously, look, uh, they're very, very famous on sweet wine. Right. Now, I mean, they can hold up with the top, top brands. Um, you went dry. Yeah, I mean, they're yeah. absolutely magnificent. And um, they make also dry wines. But we went up to the Weinviertel which is, Gerhard doesn't have an experience up there. Well, explain what that is. The you said Weinviertel, that's Weinfeld, a region. The Weinviertel is a region north Not of Vienna. Not the traditional Gruner region, no. right? Uh, well, there's a lot of Gruner Veliner grown there. Okay. But it's the largest region in Austria, a wine-growing area in Austria. And we wanted to go into that area because we didn't look for the Wachau, Kamtaler, Kremstal. We looked for the Weinviertel. Right. And for specific flavor reasons. And look, neither me or Gerd has um, any idea from up there. And that enab- enabled us, we could do things which typically, you know, you wouldn't do in that area because you have, you know, your family traditions because you have, you know, you did it that way for 100 years. That's why you have to do it another 100 years. We didn't have to have carry this back package. We could literally think free. And obviously my Le Bernardin impact came there much more stronger because, look, I work a lot with Burgundy. Uh, and I have good relationships with Burgundy, uh, Burgundy winemakers, and I learned there a lot. So I, obviously we don't want to make a Grunewaldliner, which tastes like, uh, you know, a Montrachet. No. Uh, but we use certain techniques just to maintain a freshness because Grunewaldliner, as much as I love it, but if we gets to a certain ripeness level, it loses the acidity fairly quickly. And, and then that's it becomes... the beauty of it. Well, we want to pick it before, right? Right. <laughs> uh, just to maintain the freshness. Uh, and that I get to learn. That I bring in. So the first vintage was reflected that? Reflected Did you sort of hit the marks you were shooting for? Well, I mean, look, um, the first vintage was uh, I was very happy with. Okay, that's a big deal. Um, and I'll be maybe more honest than I should be. The wine uh, had a haziness. In the color? 
Yeah. Was it filtered? No, that's the whole point. Okay. Um, we didn't filter. Or fine. We didn't find it either because I listened to it in an an interview uh, to, a, to a seminar with Olivier Sintumbrecht, and he said finding and filtering is not necessary. You just have to extend the barrel aging for half a year. Did well, you? We did it for nine months. And it still came out a little I hazy. guess what? The wine came out. I, w- I was so excited. Right? And I looked into the first bottle and said, Lord, <laughs> <laughs> this is a haze, right? I called Gerhard. And Gerhard said, no, no, no. This is only one bottle. I said, no, it's the whole case. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> I, he tried it as well. And over there, of course, it had it too. So at the same time, you know, uh, Jean-Marc Rouleau, uh, a couple of months after, uh, you know, took me to a finding uh, lesson uh, in Bonn, right? And it was such an intense and great tasting. I learned so much there. Uh, I called Gerhard immediately and said, we got to find And Gerhard said on the phone, over my dead body and went on a rant. And you didn't? <laughs> he's, he's never finding a life and blah, blah, blah. Kept going on and on and on. I said, and tell me when you're done. I said, <laughs> okay, I'm finished. I said, now go over there. It takes, a, it takes a couple of hours. I call you then after. And then he still can tell me over your dead body or you love it. I know the answer. So just give yourself... Do the do the trial. So it worked out, and it worked out perfectly. Thank God. Well, you got if, good advice from a good guy. The funny thing is, I went back to Olivier, and, and again, Olivier Tintumer is an absolute authority. To me, the guy is a, a fountain is. of wisdom. And I went back, and of course, we we laughed over that, and I said, I know it's not true, but we learned also it's it's Grunewaldina, which has a very high protein level right. in the first place. That's a great story. Yeah. Um, we'll talk a little more about the wine when we sip it. So we're going to just jump into this feature. It's the uh, wine list. I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions. You don't have to dwell on them. Move through them quickly. I think our audience is interested in your take on a lot of things. So the first question is, what are you drinking now? Not right now because we're drinking yours, but are you tasting seasonal wines? Are you going back to a region? I'm the moodiest drinker you can possibly imagine. You are. You're not Uh, a moody guy, though. Nope. Uh, But I think I I listen to what my body is craving. Right. If and you right a, now, that is? Right now, um, I love bright burgundies again. Okay. I'm really onto them. I, I'm very heavy on Northern Rhone uh, reds. Okay. What? Saint-Joseph? What? Uh, I like Saint-Joseph. What, what, I like what Northern Rhone? I like the little Syrah from Jamais, or I like Cotroti from Jamais, obviously. Uh, who doesn't? But, right. It's a terrific one. Um, love Cornas, with no question. So I'm right now in kind of that vein. Okay, so... Uh, white Burgundy and Northern Rhones. Good answer. Aldo Somme's favorite wine and food pairing. Out of the restaurant, at home, or when you go out. Uh, it's a simple thing. Um, don't take this personal, but as a, as a European, you have no affection to Turkey. For Thanksgiving, okay, right. Uh, you, I, I know you it. have to you have to grow up with I'm it. Very offended, it. but keep going. <laughs> I cook short ribs, and nothing for me is greater than if you have really old Californian red. So short ribs, which is a very meaty, yeah. thick, saucy, yeah. a California red leaning towards cab. Yeah, uh, last year actually, as a matter of fact, I took an old Zinfandel <laughs> from Rich. A Zin, uh, that'll seventy-eight, hold up well. and you know what? It was an epic combination. Perfect, uh, perfect answer yeah. all around. All right, take yourself out of. The wine bar and the restaurant. I want to know what Aldo Somme's favorite wine restaurant and or bar is. And the answer is based on places that have a great attention towards wine selection, wine service. You know, you got to go somewhere sometime. What's good to you? New York, Brooklyn, Europe? Uh, I mean, I love... Stay with New York. To me, to go to places is Charlie Bird. Okay. Why? Um, they have Zalto glasses. Okay. <laughs> it's a great glass. No, it makes Robert's all the difference. There, he knows what he's doing. It makes all the difference. Um, no, but it, I think it's a fun place. Uh, it doesn't take itself too seriously. It's relaxed, and yet you get uh, you can have a great meal there. You're dead on because, yeah. y- you know, we've done almost 50 shows, and that comes up a bunch of times. Yeah. That's a for real place yeah. as far as food, wine, atmosphere. And then you noted something that no one else said. You get a Zalto glass. So that's, you know, a big deal. But and before look, we were saying, how do you try a Zalto glass? Go to Charlie Brown. Yeah, no, but it's all about details. And I think yep. in that, little, in that place, uh, as little as it is, it's it, the details. I, I agree with you. That's a great choice. Do you have a favorite all-time wine? Uh, no, life is way too... Do you have a couple of things a that made... Or, 
something. So instead of favorite all-time wine, what what made impressions or in the last five years, ten years, what's a wine that still resonates with you? I mean, I just had one the other day, uh, 71 Riesling uh, Vail Nassonneur from Prum. Jesus. Uh, I mean, look, How did it drink? Uh, it's just... Uh, there was... You know, think you think of his Riesling is sweet, but with that kind of age, the sweetness goes down. It's just such an ethereal flavor. So it was and a '71 Prum, P-R-U-M, a Riesling from yeah. Germany, and what was it? Where was it from? Uh, uh, Spätlaser from the Mosel. Spätlaser, yeah. a Mosel Spätlaser. And typically, when they're young, they're very sweet, but then with age, right? It, it, so it, that's one wine. Uh, obviously, one of my wines, if money doesn't uh, isn't no. isn't an, uh, a problem, '71 uh, Latache. Okay. Uh, right or '61 La Chapelle. Okay, um, those, that's what I wanted to hear. So, um, okay, so those are wines, obviously, Th- those I really are, die for. <laughs> those are good choices. Um, we talked about this a little earlier, and I think that you can answer this. I want you to tell me the best wines that I can go out and buy retail for around 15 bucks. And I always set this question up. I have three boys. They're in their 20s. They're starting to make a little money. They're going to dinner parties. They don't want to buy crappy wine. They don't have a ton of money. So where are they getting the value for 15 to 20? Give me a red. You can give me specifics. You can give me a region. What's, what, do you, what, do you, what is Aldo song? I mean, look, even though we're in fall already, but it's very humid uh, right. here today and very warm. One of my to-go-to wines in kind of in that kind of price range uh, is the Raisin de Gaulois from uh, from La Pierre. Right. Look, first of all, if you chill it, you kill two birds with one stone. You have almost a white and a red in one wine. Right. Uh, it's crisp. It's fresh. It's tasty. You can have it with grilled vegetables. You can have it with uh, even a fish. Right. Uh, it's really, really no problem into that. That, that that's a great choice. Um, what else? Then you can go a little bit... Out. I mean, look, one thing, we always gravitate into brands. I think what's majorly important... Look, you can have some delicious muscadets where you don't have to spend a lot of muscadet money. Muscadet is always a good answer it's, for white. Uh, Fish, shellfish. Absolutely. But look, you can have also, also Grunewald Liners. Uh, that's the irony for me. I mean, look, I'm Austrian. I, agree, I admit it. But I think uh, it's a heavily underrated area. Uh, it's a heavily uh, underrated area as a travel destination because I've sent a lot of people ask me, you know, when they visit Vienna, where can we see it? And we have set up a document for them, you know, from the super high-end place, but also to places where you just go to the sausage stand and right, right? and people are blown away. Said, well, you know, people actually after the opera they were there in tuxedos and said, yeah, don't compare it to a sausage stand here. It's a total different thing. Right. We're sent into a shack on the green market and all of a sudden they get the finest roast beef and right. the finest charcuterie, right? Right. And I said, uh, I remember actually Arvid Rosengren, who works at Charlie Bird, right, said to right. me, you know, honestly, it, I had difficulties to walk in because it didn't look so great and then we, after three and a half hours we had difficulties to walk out. Ah, that's <laughs> so, a sign of and the place. That's, the thing, nobody expects anything and they're all blown away by it. Right. So I think those are good recommendations. The Gruner the raison um and i'll post them on our site you know because i want I, i'm going to post your whole wine list answer thing because i think people want to uh, know what they are all right we're going to wrap the show up with our final segment it's the weekly wine sip every week we taste a different wine on air for our weekly wine sip this week i asked aldo to bring in a soman crocker um austrian gruner um, we talked about it's a collaboration between Aldo and Austrian winemaker Gerhard Crocker. Um, this wine is available at La Bernardine, Aldo Son Wine Bar, and better wine stores around New York and some other markets. I asked Aldo, it retails for around 25 bucks. You're not going to pay much more. You may pay a little less. So, Aldo, tell me, there's a few labels on your line. Tell me exactly what you brought in. We make four labels in total. We have the Grunewaldian Lion, our entry level. Right. Uh, we have the Alte Reben, which I brought here. And then so, wait, spell it. Alta? Alte Reben, meaning old wines. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and then we have uh, St. Georg and the single vineyard. Those okay. are two single vineyard specific Grunewaldinas. Does price go up as you? Yes. Okay. So the lion is the entry. This is the second. The second. Then you have so the single. lion would be about 20 bucks. In that so on my question for a great wine, the we'll Gruner right lion would be right there. Okay. So we're drinking the... Alte Reben 2013. Okay. Now, we, this is actually... Um, we switching, we, we're soon going to switch over into the next vintage. 
Um, this is something which is still in the market. We leave this wine long on the lease. That's why you find a little bit of creamier texture. Explain to people, just give them a little wine lesson, what the lees are and leaving them on the lees, what it does to the wine. What the lees is basically when you have the fermentation, right? It settles at the bottom. Right. And it's very, very important for the wine to stay onto because you develop different flavors and uh, lees also protects it from oxygen. Oxygen is, the, is a sort of an enemy of wine. Right. Uh, to picturize that, just cut an apple apart and leave it for an hour. Turns it brown. will turn brown. So the lees will protect that. Um, so you... Leave the lees and you leave it on a little longer. Yes. Okay. And that, uh, that have obviously have... affects the character and taste. Exactly. And it becomes just richer. It becomes more complete. We hold this longer back. What I, done, what I look for our wines is to have more complexity. They have also more length and yet to have a freshness with it. Um, that's to me absolute key. I think you have that here. Okay. So let's, let's give it the vitals. So let's start with the color. It's a light golden yellow. Yep. Not light, but not deep, but a beautiful color. All right. Um, let's help me with the nose, Aldo. It's been sitting in the glass 40, 50 minutes, yeah. which is good. What <laughs> it's, the, it's the moment of truth. <laughs> what do we, tell me your uh, nose descriptors. It's very clean. It's very precise. It's very clean. It is very precise. It's very mineral-driven. You have a lot of these whetstone characteristics. You get a lot of yellow apple characteristics, uh, a little floral component, a touch of honey. I picked uh, up honey yeah, right away. Even though there's it's no botrytis. down a little, right. There's no botrytis to it. Right. All right, so that's the nose. All right, let's go mouthfeel now. So it's bone dry. There's no sweetness at all. Bone dry, good acidity. Yeah, good texture. Uh, medium body. Yeah. It's not an unctuous wine, but it's not thin no. at all. But look how long it stays with you on the palate. Yeah. The mid-palate is crazy. It's, it's at least 10, min, uh, 10 seconds. It's a beautiful wine in the mouth in a lot of ways. And it's very clean. Uh, it has still these applish components. So now talk palate. Um, well, that's I'm already halfway in. Okay. You have these applish components. It stays very So long. apple's very prominent. Yeah. And the alcohol is integrated. Even though the wine is now, you know, sitting for 15 minutes in the glass, it's already warm, but you don't still don't pick it up. It, the, sitting in the glass had no negative effect on it. Not at all. You know, you don't have to be a big, expensive, fancy wine to have, you know, some air in the glass. This yeah. held up nicely. Yeah. Um, and what's great with this wine, it works perfectly with seafood. Well, that was my next question. What would you pair <laughs> yeah. this with? So seafood, seafood, specifically, I mean, shellfish, lobster, salmon, Here, all of the that? The moment you go in raw fish, I mean, look, just go to Le Bernardin, they have almost draw section, right? Uh, um, you know, all the tatars, all the ceviche styles, I mean, this is just perfectly uh, working with it. Or even you have some salads with it, works perfectly as well. Or if you have a chicken with it, it works also. Yes, I agree. I it's had a great food all-rounder. Yes, it is a good food wine, and it's diverse in that sense. I had Dana Cowan on the show a couple of weeks ago. Oh, she's great. And I asked her the question, her favorite wine is a high compliment to you. She said, you know, and remember what you said. What was it, a 71 Latasha? Mm-hmm. She said, you know, at Le Bernardine, I love to just go and drink Aldo's wines. And he's so <laughs> humble about it. You make yeah. me blush at the beginning, that made me blush again. That's a heck of an answer for somebody <laughs> who knows food and wine, <laughs> literally. Um, all right, so you'd pair this with seafood. Um, I'm not going to ask you this, but usually when I bring wine in or we drink blind, I ask uh, my guests, do we like this wine? Because sometimes the wines aren't good. I know you like this wine. I know you put your heart into it. I love this wine. There's don't like, like, love. I love this wine. I think everything you said is true. I think it presents itself really well. I think it's a great food wine. I think the value is off the chart. If you think about who put their time, heart, money, effort into it, you and Gerhard, you know, this is a winner. So this is the 2013. The 2013 Solomon Crocker Austrian Gruner Veltenier. Which label was it again? Alte Raven. Alte Raven. Okay. And Aldo said it's still available at some stores yes. and certainly at the wine bar. Yep. So go get yourself a nice glass of this. It's not that expensive there, and you could drink it in a Zalto glass. All right. So that's our weekly wine sip. Aldo, we're going to wrap the show up. If you have a question, wine happening, or event, hit me up at sam at thegrapenation.com. That's sam at thegrapenation.com. I just want to let you know that our friends at Roberta's, where we do our show, they'll be doing an orange wine event on Sunday, October 15th from 12 noon to 7 p. There'll be over 30 producers, including some real hard-to-find stuff. 
I didn't get a chance to ask Aldo, which will force me to have him back, his take on natural wines. But we'll get to that one day. Um, please follow us on Facebook at The Grape Nation. We'll post Aldo's wine list, and we'll talk about what we sipped on the weekly wine sip. Um, follow us on Instagram at SBenRuby, Twitter at BenRuby. And Aldo, where can we find you and all your projects on social media if people want to follow you? It's very simple, at Aldo Som. Okay. Or you find it also at Sombar. At S-O-H-M-B-A-R. Yeah. Um, you can Google Som and Crocher, Crocker for the wines, right? I do this with me. Okay. So, yeah. All right. Um, and if you're ever at Aldo's Wine Bar at Le Bernardine, look, yeah, come by. Look for Aldo. All right, Aldo, I want to thank you for coming in. Thank you for having me. I had me. a great time. Um, thank you to our engineer, Vitor, and everyone at the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sam Ben Ruby, and you've been listening to The Grape Nation. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.